Welcome to the My Personal Football Coach Youth Soccer Player Development Podcast, episode 19 with Jess Ibrom. Welcome to MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Soccer Player Development Podcast. Discover all the secrets, hints and tips about soccer player development and soccer coaching from some of the leading figures in world soccer. Here's your host, Saul Isaacson-Hurst. Hi guys, welcome back to another show. This week we've got a great guest, uh, Jess Ibrom, uh, who's now the technical director of football in the Cook Islands. Uh, he's got a real interesting story about his journey, um, starting off as a young aspiring footballer uh, into full-time uh, coaching. So you know a lot of uh, obviously a lot of listeners. I know you guys uh, obviously already have a coaching career or aspire to work full-time in football. So a really interesting journey from Jess and talking about his journey from working as a uh, part-time in football work to full-time uh, to, to travelling overseas via New Zealand and now the Cook Islands. So lots of valuable, interesting de- lessons to learn. Also about player development uh, in different countries as well. So another great show. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. Uh, busy in my end, just prepping for the uh, conference uh, in Philly. Looking forward to meeting up with lots of people. Uh, we just literally finished the app. The app now is available uh, on Apple and Google Store for some players using the Dynamic Ball Mastery. The world's leading online technical training program can now work offline on their phones or on their tablets, uh, downloading the practices uh, to watch on their phone and do, and obviously getting a lot more hint, regular hints and tips sent directly to them to their uh, to their phones and tablets. So if you are a member, uh, check out the new app. If you're not a member, get online now, uh, join up and uh, you know improve your technical development, whether you're a, a player or a coach or, or a parent interested in, uh, in technical development. Um, go to mypersonalfootballcoach.com and sign up and, and try it. Uh, the coaches pass going really well, getting lots of great feedback. I've uh, been really blessed. I've been traveling around the world, uh, visiting academies, and I'm, and I'm carrying on doing that in the next six months. So I'm, I plan to post all the, the sessions of my visits. So obviously I've posted recently my uh, trip to Man City, some of the sessions I saw up there, some of the interesting things. Uh, I'm going to be uh, visiting several academies up in the, new, new, in the next coming months. Uh, uh, so I'm going to be posting sessions on there and the coaches pass as well. So I remember that's an um, online resource for coaches. Uh, it's, got, it's got lots of techniques on there, 1v1 techniques, skills, ball mastery skills, but also team sessions now so lots of quality team sessions uh, ball mastery 1v1 sessions but also shooting sessions so that's coming the regularly so check that out as well lots going on all busy but without further ado let's get into the show so Jess Ibram welcome to the show thank you very much great to be here so can you just give us a little bit of a brief um, background about your playing and coaching history please up to this point yeah um like every young boy, I guess, wanted um, to go on and make it professionally in the game. Um, I think you realise sort of as you get towards your teens and uh, that it's, it's quite a competitive um, game in England. So um, I, I pretty much played from the ages of um, eight all the way up to 27 and had a number of professional trials with clubs in England at varying levels. Um, quickly realised, obviously, I wasn't going to make the greatest professional footballer. And then I really fell into coaching around about the year 2000. Um, and I was introduced to a coaching company in the US 
uh, which a lot of people have followed that route. Um, and I just went out to America in the year 2000 and coached at varying levels. Your typical summer camps, um, college level, ODP, Super Y League level, um, club teams, recreational soccer, travel soccer, uh, just lots of varying different levels. Um, and I've done that for around about five years. It took me up to about 2004. Um, then I quickly realised to really make a career out of football coaching, I had to come back to the UK and gain my coaching licences. So that's what I sort of started on that journey. Um, and then I was um, fortunate I was taken on as a uh, football development officer for a club called Kings Lynn Football Club, which is um, at the time we were playing, I think it was around about uh, Conference South in no, sorry, Conference North during at the time. Uh, and my role was development officer for the club. So I oversaw um, all the youth development from pretty much under sixes all the way up to reserve team level. Um, and I performed that role for from 2005 to about 2011 uh, in as a football development officer. And then I got the opportunity to uh, go abroad. And I'd been seeking an opportunity to coach abroad for around about two years or so. Um, and then I had two opportunities come up. One was in Vancouver uh, as a technical director over there. And one was at an elite football academy in the South Island of New Zealand. Uh, called the Asia Pacific Football Academy and we worked in association with Chelsea Football Club um, so it was a really good opportunity for me to go over to New Zealand a different country different culture to immerse myself um, in an elite football environment um, obviously working closely with Chelsea as well was quite a unique opportunity for me and then took that, on, took that role on um, as high performance coach there and then the academy was um then um, we were doing quite a successful job in terms of moving players onto the professional level in US colleges as well. And so the Wellington Phoenix, which is the only professional club in New Zealand, plays in the Hyundai A-League. They asked us to sort of relocate the academy from Christchurch, where it was at, to come under the banner of the Wellington Phoenix as a club. So I then followed the academy up with some of the staff and I was head of the academy there for just, just under two years or so. Um, in between all of that, I was fortunate to do a lot of travelling within the roles that I had at the uh, Asia-Pacific Football Academy um, to countries such as Bangkok, Hong Kong, Mexico, US, um, Australia, and some of the islands as well, recruiting elite-level players as well. Um and then, yeah, just finished off my role at the Wellington Phoenix. Uh, um, and then to where I find myself to, to uh, present day as technical director for the Cook Island Football Association. Fantastic. So, so that's just, a bit of a short-winded short, short version of it. Perfect. So we're going we're gonna to dive in a little bit more in detail in a bit, mate. So just um, rewind that and your first... What was your first actual coaching experience? First coaching experience was actually in the US, Um and it was at a summer camp level in Connecticut. And so, um, so you went, you went out was, there. And yeah. what, what experience did you have? Any experience before you went out to the to Connecticut? Very limited. Uh, probably voluntary coaching, um, just at a local club back in England, but nothing of any great magnitude. Um, and then it was, yeah, just really going out to the US was fantastic because it was an opportunity to really 
just completely immerse yourself daily by you know coaching and working with kids so this is um because obviously I, I did the same same uh, beginning part of the journey as you i went out to america also okay. to my coach and i that's what i that's what i i recommend young coaches to to do just like you said it's such an amazing experience in terms of number one the amount of hours you're coaching you're coaching every day and the, yep. the different abilities you're coaching you actually get to coach some good players but also then you're coaching kids beginners and summer camps and travel teams and it's such a you know i don't i think it's difficult to replicate that especially in england isn't it getting that daily uh time on the pitch with players in the early part of your career what do you think about that very very much so i, I completely agree and i think as well in terms of um confidence building for young coaches as well to have that opportunity to go to a different different country and and like you say just to be able to accumulate that many hours of just coaching at varying levels is you know is a, is, is priceless to be honest and so then, how, tell us a bit about the how your your coaching methodology grew. How did how did it you know as a young coach stepping into that? You know, who taught you how to coach, or what what did you know? What the main what was your methodology at that time, and has it changed? To be honest, I mean, at that, at that time for me, it was about accumulating experience. It was trying to find my own pathway. I wouldn't say I had any great mentor at that time. It was really when I came back to England. Um, and then I was I was fortunate the football development officer at the time he moved on but I sort of uh, I worked under him for probably about four to five years and through that that's where I really really created my own sort of methodologies my style of coaching um, how I work with players and that's something I'd say that I've molded over time through different experiences and different cultures that I've worked in and it's sort of been carried on to a degree i'd say i've got a really good foundation in in the us and even more so in the in the uk in terms of actual knowledge developing my knowledge and game understanding and then coming out to new zealand and working in the environment i was working in really really accelerated you know my own learning then at that point so tell us a little bit about your time then at king's lynn as your, your development officer what was your roles and what was that like and then how much time did you get on the pitch and how, how did that grow you as a coach I say it was, it was fantastic because you was you was involved with a club, um, and you can't beat being involved in the club environment um, on a daily basis. And for me, all right, we're we're a semi-professional club at the time, but you know there were some 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 good players that are coming through the club. I think for me, um, I had the opportunity to really develop something. It was a bit of a blank canvas. There had been a lot of work that had gone on previously to me coming into the role, but then the sort of the steering group the committee group in a sense said look you can you can take it in whatever direction you want to take it in so across that four or five year period then I really developed um, the elite level side we created a lot of very very good links with professional clubs Um, you know so we'd have regular games against professional clubs locally to us Norwich Ipswich Colchester Cambridge United Peterborough Histon such like Um, a lot of developing of coaches and the program itself I mean it was quite a big remit it was anything up to about 900 um, kids a week covering a radius of about 50 miles so and dropping into that was all the school initiatives as well so it was very very diverse and you was um, spread out across a lot of um, different areas but you know it, it enabled you to gain some really really good practical coaching experience and for me I was working with all the elite teams 
Um, so that was a really good opportunity for me in itself. We take we go on international tours as well, Spain, Italy, um, within England as well. So it was, it was just accumulating a lot of really really good experience. And um, what those elite teams? What league did they play in? And- so we didn't actually play within a within a league. It would uh, up to youth team level, under eighteen and above, and they they would play sort of locally, regionally, and whatever else. What we would try and do is, and it was difficult because obviously we weren't a professional club. We would try and replicate the centre of excellence model to a degree, and we would then, you know, we'd take all age groups away to say Luton for two days, and we just we'd, we'd play all their all their centre of excellence teams, or we'd go to Norwich and do exactly the same. We'd go to the training ground and we'd play um, their academy teams. So it was an opportunity for for our kids to, you know, accelerate their their development as well as the professional clubs sort of looking at our players with the opportunity to you know if any really were highlighted they could bring them into the club as well so it, it was it was a model that worked quite well but it only worked due to the number of games and the quality of the opposition we were playing on a regular basis and um, what was the aspirations was it to get players into the, the, the first team at Kingsley or get players into pro clubs at other other clubs and their other academies I say both to a degree. Obviously, the pinnacle really was to get them into professional clubs, which we did have some success at varying times. Year on year, you, we, there might be a player that would go across to Norwich City. We had a really good relationship there with with the club there. Um, but really, it was it was it was Kingsland level, um, and then it beyond that, it was um, it, you know other clubs. If they weren't hitting Kingsland level, it would be other amateur clubs. So really, just retaining the players still to stay in the game at a semi-professional level which a lot of them you know have continued to do so now so 2011 comes around and you obviously get bored with the uh, the, the the sun the hot weather and the glamour of Suffolk and <laughs> decide to uh, to make a big move how did that come about and what was your thoughts about that it was quite an interesting journey for me to get out to New Zealand in itself I'd been pretty much applying for roles abroad for around the best part of around about two years in that time I probably had two interviews um, and then in the space of two weeks two opportunities just come up out of the blue um, like I say one was in Vancouver and one was in New Zealand and then I followed the route down to New Zealand because the opportunity to work in an elite environment um, but also a club you know such as Chelsea as well was just it was too good an opportunity to turn down really so then I sort of jumped on a plane and the uh, next thing I know I'm travelling out to New Zealand on my own I'd done quite a bit of research on the country itself. Um, and, yeah, before I knew it, I was there and um, I was working in the, in the environment. Um, and it was, uh, <coughs> excuse me, it was, uh, we, were, we were quite fortunate because we were very, very um, well-resourced, funded. Um, and, you know, we we had a lot of elite-level players, not just with, from within New Zealand, but the Oceania region and beyond that as well. So we were recruiting players from... South America, Mexico, um, some players from Asia as well, and we were bringing them into New Zealand um, to develop them as players, to move them onto the highest level in the game. Ideally, it would be to bounce a player back to Chelsea, but you know that's that's not easy in itself. So, um, so I, so I remember coming um, across coming across this project only many many years mm-hmm. ago, and my my thoughts time was then was that who who who's running it? Where's where's the money coming from? And uh, you know how much involvement has Chelsea got in that program? Yeah, so it was. It was um, so at, at the time, I, I actually came into it, and uh, the 
director of football was um, Giovanni Fernandez, his name was, who who's actually actually on football now. He was previously at the IMG Academy in the US, and it was quite a unique model because it was uh, it was um, obviously we're affiliated with Chelsea, and Chelsea had a, as much involvement as they wanted to. We would have um, coaches that would actually come over from Chelsea, and I know obviously you know know one of those coaches. Um, and they'd spend time with us. We had Dermot Drummy, under twenty-one um, coach at the time at Chelsea. He went to the, he was over for the Hong Kong Sevens, and then he travelled down to New Zealand, spent a couple of weeks with us. And then myself and Giovanni, we would have the opportunity to then also go back to Chelsea and spend sort of uh, professional development visits there. We would share intellectual property as well, um, and it was really really open from from Chelsea as a club. It was just such a fantastic unique relationship we had with them and um, we still to you know do to this day as well so it was an opportunity for Chelsea really to identify players within this part of the world and beyond um, as a as a recruitment opportunity as well I guess. Did the players pay there to come to attend the academy? So we had a model whereby uh, the players would come in and they were uh, to start with we had a, a scholarship system in place where we identified the best up and coming under 17 New Zealand national players um, other national players as well from some of the island nations um, so it, it was a fully funded project we had strength and conditioning coaches we had full-time physio we had full-time performance analysis guy um, myself Giovanni um, yeah it was just like a, a replicated version of a, an elite football academy um, in the UK and then the, the players themselves were you know they were brought in as elite level players so they, you know we invested in those players to hopefully move them on to a professional club in the future. So you, you went on these recruitment trips around Hong Kong, Singapore, Thailand, USA, Mexico, Australia so what, how would that work in practice organising these, these trial days or these recruitment trips? So we had a lot of very, we had quite an expansive network of people out in the field. Um, if I give you one example of Mexico, I've been there numerous times and we would go over and um, basically run these showcase events and our contacts on the ground, their job or role in itself would be to um, basically get prospective players that ideally we were looking at at certain age levels um, to come to one central venue, whether it's Monterey, whether it's um, Playa del Carmen in the southern part of Mexico, we could have anything up to 100, 150 players that would come down from all different clubs as well, some of the Mexican clubs as well. And then it was an opportunity for me and Giovanni, we would go in here and we, we would observe these players. And so we'd observe them in our own environment. Um, and then if obviously there was players that stand, stood out, then we would um, open up that pathway for them to then come to New Zealand, for them to gain a, a good education in, in a good country as well as being in an elite football environment to develop as a footballer. And we've done that yeah, in numerous different countries, Bangkok, Hong Kong, Singapore, Australia, uh, US as well. Um, so yeah, it worked, it worked quite well. And we, it was an opportunity for us to identify you know, a lot more elite level players. And that's why the model worked so well because we weren't just transfixed on just Kiwi players. We had international players that come in as well. So it was a good mix in terms of the actual playing group. So how, so how many different nationalities did you have there at, at, at the academy? 
uh, we had uh, New Zealand, Japanese, Australian, um, Singapore, Hong Kong, Mexico, um, and then there might be one or, one or two of the island nations as well, New Caledonia, um, when, and we'd have players that would come in. It would be a continuum cycle of players that would be coming in on a weekly basis that would be identified or recommended to us. And so, so these guys, you know, are, it's like a full-time program. It's run like a like a like an academy in England, if you like. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, it was just, and a lot of the, the actual academy itself was, it was, um, the managing directors of the actual academy, you know, visited Chelsea on numerous occasions, and a lot of the um, interior of the actual academy was a carbon copy of what they had at Cobham. So like the boot room, the boot troughs, um, you know, we just tried to replicate as much as what we could. Um, and it was a very, very unique place. And it was, and it was, yeah, it was most definitely the, the elite football facility in New Zealand at the time. And so tell us a bit um, about then your, 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 your role in that in terms of what was that like for you as a coach now dealing with these, you know, elite players or elite players that are very close to that level in a full-time environment. I mean, well, that's must last, a new challenge for you. How did you deal with that, and then you know, how did you structure your program, and where did you learn? You get your ideas from for this. Oh, it's fantastic. For, for me, it was I'd say it's professional development. This is where I really, really um, started to accelerate my learning. I was very fortunate. I was working alongside someone like Giovanni, who um, is, is is obviously Brazilian by background, so it's completely different um, football philosophy and way with which we work with the players um you know it's sort of away from that structured um environment and sort of structured learning models that you see quite a lot in england to a degree um but it was it was very different for me and it is is you know i had to be very flexible but um in terms of the actual program itself you know me and giovanni we collaborated quite a lot in the actual program and um and it would be an ever-changing model, but it would always stay the same in terms of the culture, the academy, and the philosophies with which we wanted to develop the players in. And for me, working with these elite-level players, and you know, it was a really, really fantastic experience for me because you know I learned a lot, not just about myself, but in terms of you know elite-level performers as well. And just last week, I just watched New Zealand versus Peru as two of the boys that were part of the academy at the time they were playing for the All Whites. Um, so it's you know it's it's pleasing to see some of them have gone on as well. You know you've played a part. You know you haven't had the biggest influence, but you've played a part in their development. So it was good. It was a good challenge for me. Um, and, and in practical terms, in terms of like possession design and things like that, what what did you do to to help give you ideas and to plan in the sessions? And you know did you did you did you source other materials? Did you look? You know did you ask for support in that? Did you you know what, how did you deal with that in terms of professional development? So a lot. So whenever we'd have our opportunities to obviously visit Chelsea, we'd put a lot on them as much as what we could. Um, a lot of the program, the football, was driven by the director of football, which was Giovanni at the time, and the actual model itself was driven by him. Um, so we, yeah, we we've, we had a trainer model which I've actually taken on, and I've, I moved it on to when I went to the Wellington Phoenix, and I've. I've moved it on now here to being in here in the Cook Islands, but just in a more simplified way. So tell us a bit about that. Tell us, tell us a little bit about that training model. So the training model for us itself is, um, 
trying to explain it in such a way. So we, we, we would we would bring players in, but we wouldn't pigeonhole them into a specific position as such. So if we was identifying a player, we wouldn't if if we identified a player in the field in Mexico and whatever else, we wouldn't specifically look at him and say he you know he he's he's going to be a number nine, he's going to be a number ten, or he's going to be a number four or whatever else, because we knew that in the future a lot of these players when they would move on and they were not all going to go to a professional level and you know if they went to a US college which was the other pathway that was running alongside it then you know the college coach or club coach in a professional environment could perceive him in a different position so for a lot of us we would look to develop the players to, to make him multi-positional so through the games program we had we didn't play in a league as such we would play um opposition which would challenge us in terms of physicality wise so we were playing teams that would be four or five years older than us senior men teams or whatever else but uh, work with the players and coach the players in such a way that they would be comfortable in terms of playing with the game facing the game playing the game on the side you know back to the goal as well but actually teaching all these different concepts in this weekly training model and it's a bit different from a lot of other training models that i've seen on a, on a personal level, um, you know, within clubs as well, they've got a set syllabus, if you like, and this week we do this, and then week six we re- revisit this. Whereas us across the week, we would pretty much try and hit each one of those um, uh, criteria, if you like, by, you know, touching on as many different aspects as we can throughout the week. Rather than just having a set topic for the week, it would fluctuate on a daily basis, but you're trying to hit every element that you can throughout the week and so, so what were the age groups you had there they were just 17 18s that was that was the main age groups so for us it would be um age-wise it was fluctuate in terms of the group but on the whole it was from the ages of 13 14 15 ish i'd say they were the real main crux of the group yeah age-wise so you got this 13, 14, 15 year olds and so I mean what what had that work in terms of schooling? So we were actually um affiliated very, very closely to a school that was seven minutes down the road. So we would um the players would get dropped off, they'd go to school, you know, the usual typical model, we'd pick them up direct from training, they'd come in, they'd train well, they'd be in the academy environment Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We would usually have a game in midweek. We would have some, you know, um, activation sessions, strength conditioning sessions, and whatever else, um, recovery sessions that would all be across that working week as well. So they would be the 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 kids would actually like it, especially the, the boys from South America and Mexico as well, because it was an opportunity for them to develop their English English language, but also gain a really good credible education as well. And New Zealand from afar is actually quite quite a sought after um hub for academics uh, in terms of um because it, it just it just ticks a lot of boxes you know it's clean it's green it's very very it's safe as a country the climate was quite perfect as well for us so we were out you know every day of the week every month of the year and so and what about uh, where did all these these players live so they lived in local homestays probably within a 15 to 20 minute radius of the academy itself so directly after training then the usual you know minibus they drop them off at their different homestays so they're all in homestays with with kiwi families 
Excellent. So then tell us a little bit about then your transition to the, the academy, uh, Wellington Phoenix. Um, when did that work? Yeah, so, yeah, we, we, we um, were fortunate to move a couple of players, players on from the academy in Christchurch to the Wellington Phoenix. And then this come about around about a time when the Wellington Phoenix took on a new head coach, Ernie Merrick, who's now head coach for Newcastle Jets in the A-League. And Ernie was, Ernie was fantastic in the sense that he was um, a big advocate of youth development through his previous experience when he was in Australia. And so conversations went quite quickly. And as a result of that, he was very, very keen for us to operate the academy not in Christchurch but in Wellington so we relocated the academy in Wellington then we came under the banner as, as such of of the Wellington Phoenix and then that's how my role sort of was born out of that you know that was part of the transition of me relocating from Christchurch to Wellington as well as bringing some of the players into the club who are potential professional players in the future so then my role then became head coach of the at the academy at the Wellington Phoenix, it was a new concept for them, and it was a new, um, it was a new academy in the A League at the moment. Then they're, they're now starting to, it's always been quite top heavy, but now they're actually putting a bigger emphasis on youth development in a lot of these clubs. So, what was the main difference then in terms of the transition, in terms of day to day life for you when you're working? Um, going into that sort of professional club environment, players um, shifting around at a drop of a hat. Um, you know we had the academy structures as such and then born out of that was a reserve and then the first team but you know my my job was really to um, manage um, coordinate the academy program itself drive it forward and then at different points players would then shoot up into the we didn't have the reserves at the time until year two but then players would shoot up from the academy they go into the first team whether it's training or whether it be reserved you know friendly games or whatever else so my job was really to drive the program forward to develop game schedules um recruit players prospective players um yeah and just really make sure that the players are taken care of off the pitch um you know their well-being and schooling and everything else is up to date so it was it was quite a, a broad you know worksheet if you like and what what are the ages did you start there at that academy what's the earliest you had players in Earliest we would have players in would be, I'd, I'd say it was 12, 12 years old. Um, and then due to the interest, because obviously it was the first academy the club had operated, it, it exploded from there and then it sort of developed. And then across, across the first 18 months, it developed to 34 players. And we had a lot of international boys in there as well. Um, but due to passport restrictions and whatever else, you know, it was always going to be a limit for them to play for, play for the club itself. But they always knew that their pathway might be to US college, or it might be back to their home country, a club in their home country. And so, in terms of a little bit about recruitment process, and then for an academy there in, in uh, Wellington. So we had a number of different programs that would enable us to recruit players into the academy. Obviously, the usual was relying on contacts out in the field, or then going to observe games, tournaments in the region. Um, but then we would. Uh, we would have um, weekly programs whereby we would bring players in and it would be, you know, open to players to come in and they would spend a week in a residential camp and they would basically replicate the academy program model 
that we would do with the academy, but they they would do it just across a week, condensed it, um, you know, nutrition seminars, um, whatever else. And off of that, then that was an opportunity for us to further recruit players into the academy on a full-time basis as well. And what were the facilities like there at the at the academy? Not to the level that they were when we were in Christchurch. Um, Wellington is very... Um, it's tough in terms of uh, field usage and field access. That's changed quite a lot now. Um, I know they've got their own standalone training facility, but at the time it was quite di- quite difficult for us to actually get real good quality, um, um, you know, training pitches that we can train on. So you had to simplify a lot of what you'd done previously um, and just utilise what you had available at the time. And then what- I just we're go right. on. I said we were fortunate because the, when we relocated the academy and the kids that we brought into the academy, we were uh, that all the boys had the opportunity to go to a private school in Wellington. So academically wise, it was a big pull for players to come in. Um, so we were fortunate to utilise a lot of their facilities as well, which was you know to a really good level. And so, what who, what, what was your games program like? Did you play other academies or local teams? Yeah, a lot. And again, it was um, using the model that we had in Christchurch as well. We would play a lot of local federation teams. Um, so there's seven federations in New Zealand. And so we would uh, have the opportunity to play their federation. So if we brought a group of, say, 2000s, 2001s, we'd play their 99s, 98s, just to give them a little bit more of a, a challenge because, you know, we were fortunate we had these players in six days a week. So, you know. But these these boys were to to an elite level in the grand schemes of elite level football in New Zealand. So um, we're fortunate we managed to develop quite a comprehensive games program. Now they've taken it on because they've got a reserve team, and a lot of those younger players now playing the reserve team, which and the reserves playing the national league of New Zealand. So they're playing against the likes of Auckland City that go to the World Club Championships and whatever else. There was other opportunities. They went and played in the Hong Kong Sevens. So there was always. You know, it's quite a comprehensive games program. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of games from it, just varying levels throughout. But it was, I, I guess the most positive thing was it was managed and it was managed, you know, by myself, but coordinated by Ernie, the head coach. Um, I mean, you know, I mean, you, you've been to Chelsea. I mean, you, 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 what, what was the level like, you know, within New Zealand generally at these of these players? Um. I'd say, obviously, yeah. I mean, you know, if we're, if we're looking at New Zealand, it's, it's not Europe, and it's never going to be Europe. Um, there's a lot of good players that have come from New Zealand. That um, I'd, I'd say, you, yeah, it's, it's, you can't compare to, you know, the top-level clubs in England. And just For me, there's no comparison. You know, there's just... I think it's few and far between. I'd say the most prominent players come out of New Zealand... Um, is uh, Winston Reid and then there's others that are full underneath it so that gives you an idea but Winston didn't spend a whole chunk of his time in New Zealand up to the age of 18 and then you know jump on a plane and go to England so the level is it's it's a lot different a lot different Um, and um, I mean do you think you know why do you think that is is it you know is is it because you know rugby the All Blacks is the you know number one sport or they're just not playing as much or just just there's not a bigger pool of players to, to pick from yeah, I mean, I think population in New Zealand is something like four, four and a half million people. 
rugby is a dominant sport. There's lots of different sports. Um, that, and, and it's and it's 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 very difficult because um, I think you take it for granted in England. Yeah, the culture is what it is. You're completely immersed and surrounded by football every single day in so many different means, um, and, and the level of competition is just so high. Um, and there's there's a lot of there's a lot of academies, there's a lot of clubs doing lots of different things in New Zealand, but I wouldn't say there's any sort of great alignment to one direction. Interesting. So then your next challenge comes up. Tell us a little bit about how that came about and your decision-making process. Um, yeah, so then it was, it's just, I was seeking an opportunity, really. I wanted to stay in the region. Um, and... Do you have the opportunity to come and work in one of the island nations in the Oceania region? So there's 11 countries that fall in the Oceania Football Confederation. And to me, so it just come out of the blue, really, um, a recommendation. And uh, and so I spoke to the president of the Cook Islands Football Association. And within two weeks, me and my fiance we'd gone from New Zealand and we were in the Cook Islands. So tell everyone, give everyone a little bit of uh, just, you know, an understanding of the Cook Islands because you know they might not know about it. You know the terms of the geography, where it is, how big it is, population, that sort of thing. So I'm I'm based on the main island here, which is Rarotonga, which has got a circumference of around about 32 kilometres. Um, and there's 15 islands in the Cook Islands, covering a geographical range of the equivalent of Western Europe. So it's very big and sparse, and some of the islands in the Cook Islands are unpopulated. We're the most heavily populated island in the Cook Islands, uh, population around about fourteen thousand. Um, so yeah, it's quite it's quite a spread out <laughs> area, and I've I've been fortunate. I've visited um, two of the islands as well. So yeah, you can only go you can go there by plane, or you can go there by boat. But if you go and, a plane ride to one of the closest islands is you've got the northern group islands you've got the southern group islands if you wanted to go to one of the southern group islands it could be 45 minutes on a plane if you want to go to one of the northern group islands 45 minutes and then another probably four and a half hours plane ride wow so that's i mean sounds pretty challenging i mean what is your remit then i mean what's what's as a t- technical director what what's what's yeah what is what, what's your what are you going to do so I wear, I wear a lot of different hats i, I guess my my role is really to um, prepare national teams for competition, um, recruit national coaches, so identify national, prospective national coaches here in the Cook Islands ideally, um, develop the recruitment and talent identification model um, to expand our recruitment because there is a lot of Cook Islanders playing in New Zealand and Australia as well. Um, so there are areas that we need to open up as, you know, potential players to come and play and represent the Cook Islands. Um, coach education is a big remit for me, um, certainly now at the moment. Um, and, yeah, and, and I'd say one of the biggest areas of development I was brought in for from the president was to develop academies and national academies. So I've been here 16 months and I've been fortunate to develop six national academies. And I guess... For all the challenge that we have that we have got here, one of the pluses is because it's so small on the main island, you can, you can get around quite accessibly very easy. And so, um, yeah, we we run under under seventeen men, under twenty men, 
under 15 girls and under 12 boys under 14 boys as well and we try and align the national academies with future Oceania and FIFA tournaments that are coming up so it gives us a better opportunity to be better prepared um, rather than you know bringing a team in six six weeks prior to a tournament and then expecting us to do well at the tournament so, so, so we've had us, some tell, good tell, yeah. tell us something sorry to interrupt you, mate just what tell us about these academies then some of these look so that how do you get you know all the players the six academies what they're based in different islands are they or they're all no, based so in your island these are all yeah they're just based in the main island of rarotonga okay. and then at different points at different points in in terms of potential players in the outer islands obviously it's 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 a lot smaller and at different points we will have players that will come in and out of the program as well as represent represent the national team but at the main crux of the players we have some international players as well that reside in new zealand and australia but the main i'd say 90 percent of it is here in the main island of rarotonga so you've got say so for instance so you got your under 12 boys right mm. so um how many players have you got in that group so we've got 16 16 to 18 players in each of the age, group, age groups and then how often do you have those players currently we have them in two to three times a week oh so they're actually this is their main this will be their main footballing experience then yeah yeah to a degree it will be i mean here um the football season runs from mid-july the local domestic season to mid-december um believe it or not there's seven clubs on the island and there's 46 teams wow so the league the league structure we have is um under eights under 11s mixed under 14 boys under 14 girls under 17 men senior men senior women now in an ideal world we have a model which is every other age group or every age group but due to the population it's just not possible so we'll have players which will flip-flop in between age groups. So some boys will play under-17s on a Wednesday and then they'll play senior men on a Saturday. So the positive of that is they're playing, they're playing a good amount of games, I guess, across a six-month period. And um, so tell us about the facilities. I mean, what's, what's, what's that like? Yeah, so we have, um, we have two, mo- two main pitches. We have a full training pitch, gym, lecture room, um, residential block, so we sometimes have international youth teams that will come and stay. We just had Tahiti came over under 17 level and played our under 17s. Then we have the main pitch, main stands. Yeah, I mean it's for for the level of the Cook Islands. It's a, it's a, it's a good facility. It's a really really good good hub. We're very very fortunate. I'd say participation wise, you know, kids play football here in the Cook Islands the most. But we still have those other challenges with other sporting codes, such as netball on the girls' side, and then rugby league actually on the uh, boys and men's side as well. So it makes it difficult in terms of trying to retain players for the long term. And so tell us about your recruitment process. How do you go out and recruit these young players, especially the young ones, the 12s, 14s, the 15s, these young young boys and girls? So if we're talking just within Rautonga, and again, as a, as a positive, me as technical director, I can actually flip between two or three different venues on the island. So on a game, it usually take place Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, and because it hasn't really been any sort of recruitment model previously, for me, it's just been about developing pools of players. Um, and part of that process is obviously identifying the players 
that are really prominent within their clubs, then inviting them into a national training camp across two to three days, and then off of that, they come into the academy on a full-time basis. For us, the next step is international recruitment. So for us, we need to be tapping into um, players that are, you know, obviously living in New Zealand and Australia and other places such as that because, you know, we want to try and develop our pool of players to a bigger level. And so just tell us a little bit about that. I mean, working within those islands, those structures, how often do you get out off your island into the other ones? Um, so within the Cook Islands, I just just last week I went and delivered a coach coach education course um, to an island called Atataki, which is about 45 minutes from here. Um, went to another island, Mitiaro, population is around about 160 people. So when um, they had a big sort of... Um, uh, it's called the uh, Mania Games, which is like uh, it's like the Cook Island Olympics as such. So football was part of the sporting code. So I went over there and um, obviously watched all the football that was taking place there as well. And then if you go beyond it in terms of then you just fall into all the other islands that are, you know, within the Oceania region, such as, you know, Tahiti, Solomon Islands, Vanuatu. So we will I'll travel to those other islands if it's international fixtures or international tournaments as well, travelling with the teams as a technical advisor. Do you have like people recommending you players from all these other regions and all those, those islands that spanned across? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, really, it's just it's, it's working out the best feasible route of how we can actually bring that player in on a full-time basis. Um, the positive is, the way in which the Cook Islands is, a lot of the, uh, the kids have got families across lots of different islands. So, um, you know, for instance, if there was a player in a different island 45 minutes away, the likelihood is they will have family um, residing on Rarotonga. So there's an opportunity then to bring them in, you know, on a full-time basis, put them into a local school and then they're part of the programme. OK, so tell us a little bit about the first team then, to the top of the pyramid, if you like. What's, what's that looking like at the moment? So for us, we obviously have the senior men and senior women. Um we're a bit different to other, obviously lots of other international teams, you know, because of due to the, the size and where we're currently ranked, where we where we are. We don't have that frequency of international fixtures, which is, um, you know, something we're, we're definitely addressing for next year as well. Um, so, for instance, the men, their last international fixture was 2015. They okay. should have an international fixture in 2018. The women will have uh, a tournament next year as well. Um so it's, it's difficult in a sense because, you know, you, a lot of these players, you're losing back into their club environments and then you've got to pull them back in for, you know, an international tournament or an international fixture. But that's just that's just where we're, you know, we're, where we're at. But we're addressing it definitely for for next year and beyond. So they won't have a game for three years? So mm-hmm. the last fixture was 2015, yeah. 2016, yeah, so it'll be 2018 will be their next, next fixture. So what's the next fixture? Um, that's still to be formalised. <laughs> wow! So like, so yeah. I mean, I've, 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 it could be, it could be. Obviously, we have to look for someone who, in an ideal world, is w- within our region. Um, you know, it could be someone like Tahiti, um, Hong Kong, Macau. Yeah. Um, you know, someone who's fits within our level as well. We've got to be realistic. So who 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 manages the team? So we will bring in a head coach or specifically just manage. The national team as well for that for that one fixture yeah 
Well, it could be one fixture, or it could be two, two, two. or three fixtures, depending upon you know. Yeah. How the calendar works out and the international window works out next year as well. So how how um how many times did the boys come in then the first team men's team to train? So as it stands as it stands we have a lot of boys that are in the under twenties as well. So they'll be training on a regular basis, but in terms of the full national team, they will just come up in a training camp leading up. So it could be anything from six weeks out from the from the game, um, or it could be a smaller period of time. Um, our job is, well, my job, I guess, is to monitor those players, you know, that are playing in their other environments. So they won't. Um, so they won't, could be in. They won't have come in for the last two years since the fix, last fixture. Um, probably not those players. No. No, probably not. No, no. So that's, that must, I suppose that must, that's, uh, must be quite a challenge, you know, for a yeah, coach is. coming in. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, no, definitely. But it's just been, again, it's just been realistic of where we currently sit, you know, uh, geographically and everything else. It's, it's not easy. It's, it's not easy. But, um, you know, you've got to try and, as I said before, sim- simplify your methods and just try and maximise what time you do have. Um, but you do have other players. It was different, like when we had, like just recently we took the under 17 women away, but we had 15 of the players were from the main island. One player was from New Zealand who came in for the tournament itself. Um, so we were able to train that team from February all the way up to the tournament in August. And as a result of that, we were successful at the tournament. So well, we had a successful tournament as such. And so what's the ambition? Is it to to try and get that to improve those those standings, yeah, definitely. I mean, again, being realistic, we're not going to go to a World Cup, um, but you know, we can, you know, we can certainly have a level of success um, by not just representing the Cook Islands to be successful at future international tournaments, but actually um, better prepare ourselves and make sure that the next tournament we have a better standing in that tournament we did do the previous one an example I can give you is the under 17 women previously at under 17 level they hadn't ever qualified to semi-final level at Oceania um, level um, and we managed to do it this time round so for us it's we have to hit that again the next cycle round and so then uh, for you personally what's your ambitions within the game um continue to work at obviously um a national national level international level um potential isn't it you know professional football club environment um i'm looking to do my pro license in 2019 continue to sort of accelerate my own learning um and it's sometimes difficult in this part of the world because you know you haven't got the um you haven't got Europe on your doorstep, so you can't just, I'm going to go and jump into this club and I'm actually back at Christmas, as I told you, so I'll probably pop into a few clubs as well. But just continue to try and accelerate my own level of learning. I've moved a lot more into coach coach instructor, coach educating in the Oceania region, um, which is an area that I'm enjoying as well. And just, yeah. I was going to ask that as well, I suppose, similar to what I said earlier. How do you keep fresh in terms of coaching, getting new ideas and you know, continue your self-development when you are so isolated like that? Yeah, it's not easy. I mean, we're fortunate we do have a lot of people that come into the island um, from the Oceanic Football Confederation, so it's an opportunity for me then to tap into their knowledge. Um, 
through the coach education courses that we have on. We recently just had a technical director conference uh, that was led by FIFA in New Zealand, so that was another opportunity. Um, yeah, and it, and it isn't. It's, it's not easy, but um, you know, I guess it is what it is. Yeah, you know, it's you, you still you're still having a daily challenge. Like like yeah, you're still learning lots of new skills that will hopefully enhance you for the future as well. Um, but then, you know, when opportunities do come about, obviously me going back to England at Christmas time, that'll be an opportunity for me to visit a few few clubs and a few people that I know in the game as well. So, I mean, look, you're living the dream, you're full-time in football, and uh, what advice would you give to a young aspiring coach who, who wants to work full-time in the game? Um, I'd say reach out to people as much as possible. Um, one of the best bits of advice I was given by Dick Bate, in, who, when he was working for the English FA in 2011, was... Um, Know your coaching pathway. Um, network a lot. Um, a lot of opportunities that I've been fortunate to experience by visiting professional clubs um, all around the world is just by knocking on doors um, and just really, really make a you know a real lifelong commitment to developing yourself as a coach and making sure you do your coaching licenses. I think I heard one of your podcasts recently with Stephen Constantine. I completely agree, and you know you, you've really got to make that commitment to to doing it. And I've been fortunate; I've followed the path with the English FA, and I've I, and I've done the USA license as well, which is just another unique experience for me. But you just got to be continually looking to learn as much as possible. I just think as well as, as an opportunity to work abroad. I think sometimes you can you know get swallowed up in England, and I think you know there's there's a lot of opportunities to work abroad where you might be able to develop a better profile yourself with more opportunities than what you might not get um, in England or in Europe. And what about um, advice for a young aspiring player? Um, obviously, depending upon what region they come from or where they play. Is well, uh, any, anyone, you know, you know, you're a young player. Uh, you know, a lot of parents and players listen to this podcast. They want to dream of pro football, whether they, you know, what would you advise whether they're in... New Zealand or in London or you know anyone in the Cook Islands just, just don't give up don't give up ever work ethic is the biggest ingredient for me um, and I've seen a lot of very um, limited players that have gone on to play to the professional level and they've just they've just gone through with in terms of their work ethic and just desire to develop themselves and just just graft every day basically yes Ibron thank you very much no worries, Sal. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for the opportunity. And uh, we'll catch up soon, no doubt. Brilliant. Thanks, mate. Thanks for tuning in to the MyPersonalFootballCoach.com Soccer Player Development Podcast. MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's dynamic ball mastery program is the world's leading online individual technical training program, proven and developed at the highest level in the English Premier League. Sign up now to train like the pros and take your game to the next level. Master the ball, master the game.